We'd like to think that the Living Standards Framework way of thinking can also help the corporate sector, partly by providing the evidence, you know, on well-being to, to use as it's thinking about how to respond to these pressures from stakeholders, uh, and and indeed, you know, regulatory pressures that arise from time to time. Kia ora, I'm Troy, here as CEO, and welcome to Stirring the Pot. Thanks for connecting. If you're new, here's what you can expect. We're going to be talking the tough stuff, the things that keep us metalheads up at night. There are many challenges facing our industry and equally many opinions on how we should tackle them. Stirring the Pot provides a facilitated forum to discuss and challenge these viewpoints. So let's get to the nuts and bolts of it. Today our conversation is with Tim Ng, Deputy Secretary and Chief Economic Advisor for Treasury. A macroeconomist by training, he's an expert in monetary, fiscal and financial system policy and has been with New Zealand Treasury for a number of years. Treasury is the government's lead advisor on financial and economic policy, and many think that it's all about the numbers and what GDP is doing. But it's developed another, broader way of looking at things through the Living Standards Framework, or LSF for short. And it's this framework that was used to help the government decide its five wellbeing budget priorities. Tim, thanks for joining us today, Um, and we're going to have a conversation around the LSF, and we know that the LSF is based on some really great OECD research. Can you overview that research for us? Sure. Uh, well, this is, yeah, it does draw very much, the Living Standards Framework does draw very much on work that the OECD in particular has been doing for some time, some, you know, decade or two, uh, as well as work that's been done elsewhere. Uh, and I think the broad themes in the OECD research that are common to others as well, are that, you know, if you consider what it is that makes for a good life, uh, and, you know, based on survey evidence and so on, we're actually asking people that question, you tend to come up with similar sorts of aspects of life, uh, health, safety and security, you know, reasonable income, uh, jobs, housing, uh, etc., good education, those types of things. So um, people also tend to talk about, and this is captured in the OECD research, uh, you know, the importance of the future and uh, those things that support well-being or enable flourishing lives uh, in the future, namely, you know, um, both of the sort of physical capital that we're all familiar with, uh, as well as those other types of capital that support society and the economy, natural capital, human capital, social capital, uh, are, the, are the main ones in the OECD framework. So it's really, you know, this research has tried to draw together a way of thinking about well-being and living standards that reflects those concepts of the multi-dimensional nature of well-being today as well as the supports to sustainable well-being in the future if you like and that's the capitals mm-hmm. and it looks like treasury's actually been working on this since 2011 and modifying it and evolving it to suit new zealand can you tell us about that process sure uh well as you said in your intro um the treasury's core role is to advise governments on uh, economic and fiscal policy and economic and fiscal performance, if you like. So the OECD way of thinking about economic performance in this broad manner and fiscal and financial performance in this broad manner very much um, plays to 
what we need to our capacity and capability that we need is as the treasury to provide that advice to governments so in 2011 uh, we published the first uh, articulation, if you like, of the living standards framework, and that very much drew on the the, the concepts I just talked about um, from the OECD, and was focused on practical tools that would help us as Treasury analysts uh, do our daily work of providing advice to the government on you know, current economic and social circumstances uh, and the impacts of policy options, policy initiatives on those. Last year, uh, Hero Commission built to develop a economic assessment of the metals industry contribution to New Zealand economy using the LSF. And I have to say we found it quite difficult because we are very much used to the very quantitative analysis of looking at contribution to GDP and um, employment. And then when we had to look at our evaluation under the other three capitals, it was quite difficult to um, make that seem impressive, I guess, because <laughs> it was much more of a story rather than facts. Yep. Yep. Um, what is the mindset change that's required to use the LSF effectively? Uh, I think it's true that in the area of physical capital, for example, and measuring performance in terms of financial impacts and quantitative impacts of economic activity that that is a much more developed science if you like it's a, that is a very much quantitative science there are you know reporting standards etc that you can draw on to uh, present financial results and if you like narrow economic impact results uh, to the public and anyone else who's interested um, quantitatively the other areas of the living standards framework particularly in, in social, capital are much more difficult to measure that is true and so i think while people have a in, intuitive sense about you know the importance of things like the rule of law uh the you know trust in institutions like the police um trust in the voting system a lack of corruption the ability to trust your neighbor things like that the measurement of those uh, factors and the uh measuring the impact of those factors on economic performance and financial performance is much less uh, mature as a as a discipline. So a mindset shift is, one mindset shift is probably to, uh, you know, recognize that qualitative measures and, and storytelling is actually a genuine part of uh, creating value you know, um, managing stakeholders or talking to understanding stakeholders needs is often done in a qualitative discursive kind of manner, as well as a quantitative reporting one, if you like. Um, and then the second mindset shift probably is to appreciate that we are getting better at the quantitative measurement, you know, the survey, survey techniques, um, standardization around survey questions about life satisfaction and uh, these more intangible um, aspects of well-being that's improving all the time. And we're drawing on that, of course, uh, as, as we develop the framework. I think the storytelling part of the framework um, resonates well with Tikanga Māori, um, and obviously that has been incorporated into the LSF. What is that part of the focus um, that makes it uniquely a New Zealand LSF? Yeah, very, very much so. Very much so. The if you look at the uh, source materials in the OECD, for example, and some other 
some other countries that don't have a indigeneity as an important part of their culture, uh, it's pretty obvious that they are missing this really important dimension. You know, that's that's very important in New Zealand and is part of the social license that we need as a as a you know government agency in order to have the influence that we want to have on ministers and and uh, to be able to you know engage with the public on what we do. So the tikanga aspects. Um, Taumari perspectives on well-being are, uh, you know, very much a part of the framework, and they are a part of the framework that we want to see, uh, that we want to improve over time. You know, I think we recognise that since we are doing this, adding this dimension to the OECD um, way of thinking about things, if you like, we're, we're having to do that ourselves in a way that is, you know, we can't just cut and paste something from somebody else. We have to build that well, indigenously, if you like, in New Zealand for New Zealand purposes and drawing on the knowledge that we have in Matauranga Māori, uh, you know, and the obviously broad, very broad um, network of uh, knowledge and experts that we have in Māoridom uh, to, 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 you know, strengthen the framework uh, in that dimension. I think you mentioned that um, the, the sort of storytelling and relational aspects of well-being have this resonance with Taumari, and I think that's very true. Uh, some of the documents that we've got on the website that, that, that um, document the work that we've done and the nexus between Taumari and living standards uh, talks very much about values drawn from the Māori world, and manakitanga, um, kaitiakitanga, and so on. And they are quite sort of process-oriented. In some ways, they're quite process-oriented values. They're things that you do um, or things that ways that you look at the world and, the, the you know, the purpose of uh, life and, and, and different um, behaviours, including behaviours of government agencies. So that, that yes, it, it is very much a part of what we're trying to develop in the framework. And in terms of that evolution, what other evidence and work and activities will um, inform the continued development of it? Uh, some of it is uh, analytical and quantitative and measurement based. Uh, we're pretty aware that uh, we are not measuring to the degree of specificity uh, and quality all the things that we should be measuring for well-being. And just for example, you know, at very practical level, some of the surveys um, that we use and measurement tools that we use to populate the framework empirically, uh, you know, not not conducted very often, you know, is the time use survey, for example, has only been two, two of those in New Zealand 10 years apart. Uh, so it's not... Uh, exactly very up-to-date information um, for that particular aspect of well-being. Um, so we would be working with our you know, partners in Stats New Zealand and other parts of the government sector uh, to improve the measurement um, and conceptual understanding of what it is that we're trying to measure. And then the second one is learning about through usage, through more usage, and I think you'll, you'll probably come on to this, I suspect, uh, you know, through its application in the policy process, how, how to make it as useful as possible. You know, if I go back to the origins of the framework, it was to provide a set of useful tools for policy analysts that were simple and practical enough to actually influence what they are doing and how they are thinking about things, you know. So uh, that's probably the, the other dimension of development that we'll be focusing on, um, understanding, uh, you know, the improvements we need to make to make it more useful. How does the LSF interact with some of the bigger picture thinking like the UN development goals for sustainability? 
There's a very uh, strong correspondence, actually. Uh, we have a discussion paper that, that talks about this uh, a bit for the uh, listeners that are interested. Um, so if you look at the sustainable development goals, there's 17 of them. Uh, they cover uh, probably all of the aspects of the LSF, um, all of the aspects of living standards and well-being that are, that are captured in the LSF. Uh, but they, I, I guess they also have a bunch of other things that we don't think are um, as uh, relevant or needing of emphasis in New Zealand, for example, availability of fresh water, um, availability of clean water is, is, is something that is, I think, one, one of the 17 uh, sustainable development goals. Um, we're, we're pretty good on that in New Zealand, you know, we're a developed country. So that, I guess that's the thing to appreciate about the difference between the SDGs and our framework is that the SDGs is for all 170 or whatever it is, uh, you know, United Nations uh, members, member states, they're all in massively different states of development, uh, they all have different domestic priorities uh, and things that they need to address uh, for their own sustainable development. And so it's a much more general framework, whereas, uh, you know, the LSF is a, is a specific framework for New Zealand, um, for the Treasury to do its work in providing policy advice. But there is a correspondence between the two at the conceptual level, yeah. Why do you think it's important for industries like ours, the metals industry, to actually pay attention to the LSF and start to think about how they evaluate themselves against it? Well, I think that's a really good question. Uh, If you note what is happening in some parts of the corporate world, increasingly in the corporate world around integrated reporting, uh, that's another, that's a manifestation of or that's a response, I think, to similar uh, social and stakeholder demands for thinking more broadly about what it means to perform well as an economy and as a society and as a a good corporate citizen. You know, you have ESG reporting, you have triple bottom line, you have, you know, other initiatives like that, that are trying to help the corporate sector understand that the context in which we're all operating is changing. You know, in our case, voters, citizens, ministers are changing their demands. They're asking for a longer horizon, you know, more sort of integrated way of thinking about what they do. And similarly, in the business world, you know, you have customers saying they want to see social responsibility from their suppliers. Uh, You're seeing actually in supply chains as well, you know, some corporates are, you know, um, putting pressure on their suppliers to uh, front up with information about how how green and socially responsible they are and so on. So, you know, we'd like to think that the living standards framework way of thinking can also help the corporate sector, partly by providing the evidence, you know, on well-being to, to use as it's thinking about how to respond to these pressures from stakeholders uh, and, and indeed, you know, regulatory pressures that arise from time to time, you know, when um, governments want to change regulations because they're not happy with the direction of uh, what, the corp- what the corporate sector is doing um, uh, along environmental and you know social stewardship lines. How strong do you think um, the social license to operate is becoming and what do you see as the um, future of the companies or industries who aren't thinking about intergenerational well-being? Well, this will be, you know, a very practical, uh, competitive, strategic competitive threat, (laughs) I think, to those companies and those sectors and those industries that aren't um, positioned or haven't thought about how they're going to respond, 
you know, to these changing um, demands uh, from, from, you know, basically the, the, the erosion of their social license to operate. You know, um, customers can go, our economic model is around competition, you know, and, you know, customers, suppliers, uh, procurers can go to lots of different places. That's what we want from our economy. And if it's the case that those um, stakeholders are demanding um, an awareness and a responsiveness to environmental and social concerns, then I think the corporate sector needs to respond to that. At a government level, who has responsibility for rolling out the LSF? Uh, that's a joint responsibility, if you like. So from Treasury's point of view, we uh, help the Minister of Finance, or we provide advice to the Minister of Finance on budget management. Um, so to that extent, we have embedded the living standards framework in a, in a bunch of our tools, you know, that that um, we use to manage the budget. Um, there are also things like the uh, regulatory impact analysis system that affects other agencies, and we have a hand in that, but so do other agencies like MB. Um, so I think it's a case of uh, particular industry, uh, particular agencies, sorry, government agencies, having responsibility for their own um those those areas of their business that are affected by this uh, way of thinking, it, it would, it's really on them to uh, respond to it, uh, so that we can act together as a as a government system um, in the most you know efficient way possible to to get this to get this rolled out. Uh, of course, ministers as as well um, have an important uh, influence here. They're in the driving seat, and also uh, one of the things that's happening to help embed the living standards framework is le legislative change. Uh, in the Public Finance Act and then the State Sector Act to uh, give agencies the tools and the incentives to to pick up um, these, you know, pick up this way of thinking and this analysis to help them. Yeah, mm. we have definitely been keeping a eagle eye out on its adoption, and we were a bit disappointed with MB's. Um, new report from the Knowledge Wave to the Digital Age, which starts to talk a little bit about some of the um, values associated with the LSF, but actually hasn't cross-referenced the LSF at all. Um, oh, yeah. So it seems like there are uh, some missed opportunities with documentation coming out already. Um, how do you actually think um, we can better promote the what's in it for me for industries yeah. to start to adopt the LSF? Sure. Um, I think part of it is what's in it for what, you know, why should industry care? I mean, there's the sort of defensive one, which I talked about earlier, you know, industry, uh, individual corporates, individual organizations need to respond because their stakeholders are demanding it. Okay. So that's a defensive reason, but offensively, uh, I think the, the, the value proposition I would put to corporates in this or corporates generally and corporates in this space would be to say, you know, when you have these environmental pressures and social pressures of any sort, that's an opportunity for innovation. You know, that's a source of competitive, uh, competitive advantage for those um, organizations that can lean into this uh, social movement, if you like, and innovate and change their business models to respond uh, to, you know, what the, what the environment is telling them. Uh, and so you see some, I mean, I won't name them, but I mean, I can think of quite a few organizations, corporates, multinationals, you know, that have taken that very much on board. Uh, if you look Actually, if you think of the oil majors, you know, they're currently thinking about, well, okay, we're, we're, 
we're under pressure because we're in a dirty industry, uh, but we also have expertise about clean energy. So, you know, how are we going to position ourselves to be proponents of clean energy and make that a, uh, you know, source of enduring uh, business advantage? And I, I mean, I'm obviously I'm not an oil major expert, but I would have thought that that way of thinking should turn this into an opportunity as much of a ch- as much as a challenge. Mm, absolutely agree. Uh, what is next for the LSF? What's next? Um, well, there's a few analytical pieces of work that we need to do and that we've documented. I mean, just very briefly, um, you know, in, in addressing some of the data gaps, as I say, with uh, partnering with uh, StatsNZ, um, understanding a few more, uh, understanding better some of the uh, key priorities that we have in New Zealand where we know that uh we need to lift our game as a country. You know, it's child poverty, uh, you know, housing affordability, mental health, those things actually, of course, that we've picked up in the budget, um, the wellbeing budget um, from the government. Um, there's These are complex issues, right? They're complex, multi-generational issues involve many different agencies. And so this work program is about understanding how the tools of government can uh, enable us to get better progress on some of those, you know, enduring issues that we face as a country. Um, and then the second one is... Is, um, you know, we are dependent on, you know, we started this conversation with uh, talking about the OECD. So New Zealand isn't, an, well, it is a, a bunch of islands, but, you know, we shouldn't act like <laughs> a bunch of islands. Um, we should be connecting as much as we can to other countries that are trying to do this. And there are increasing numbers of countries trying to measure well-being, embed those measures in the policy process and make them a much more enduring part of the um, process by which we do government policy and the way in which we try to improve um living standards and well-being for citizens. So the connection to other people that can help us and that can learn from us and that we can learn from uh, at the OECD or in other advanced countries, you know, the Scandinavian countries, um, for example, they're not the only ones, uh, you know, that's very much part of the work program too. Do you feel like the LSF is actually having impact and making a difference in terms of well-being? And we, we have come quite a long way. Um, we have done, we've learned a lot from the wellbeing budget process, applying the living standards framework and the wellbeing budget process. But there's, you know, a long way to go in terms of making it a true part of the furniture, both in government processes and, you know, in the corporate world, you know, uh, the, the, all those initiatives I mentioned around in, integrated reporting or how uh, corporates can pick up wellbeing thinking, living standards thinking, you know, use the tools that are around. There's a long way to go still. Can I ask you, Troy? What, what what are you seeing in your among your members and and the industry generally? What what uh, is the industry sort of? In what ways is the industry shifting to these kinds of changes in the environment we're seeing? Um, specifically, Hira is doing a lot of work around shining a mirror on our industry on how we are actually falling behind our competitors. Timber is an example where they've got a really great carbon story to to tell. Yes. Um, so how do we actually? have some actions so that we're not greenwashing our industry and actually start to improve. We're really great on the other side of things. So we've got great social impact in terms of apprenticeships and um, we're we're starting to focus more on regional engagement, that type of thing. Um, And obviously the physical capital we can tick off. Yeah. Um, but we we have really struggled with that storytelling and, and yeah. that's the heart part of the marketing rather than the head marketing. And 
the big exemplar of our failure is really we're having a major skills crisis mm. and that I think is going to be the main driver for our industry to have to change. But I yep. definitely think we're in the denial phase at the moment. Mm-hmm. That's that's really interesting. Yeah, I was I was wondering actually if you're going to ask me um, some questions along those lines because uh, you know Timber does have a really good story and we're seeing so much innovation there with you know LVL and all these other sort of structural products that are starting to, as far as I can tell, you know I'm not an expert but it, it looks like a competitive threat to steel, you know, um, and heavy engineering sort of generally uh, things are getting lighter. Um, there's a massive, as you'd know from from you know thinking about the UK case, there's a massive of decarbonisation issue around buildings. You know, we need to change the building stock because it's it's uh, it's appalling in terms of energy and energy efficiency. Uh, so, what's going to go in these buildings? You know, is it going to be concrete and steel, or is it going to be timber? And the timber people are putting up a pretty good story about well, maybe it could be timber. You know. Yeah, I have just had a recent discussion this week with Middles New Zealand on that very issue because the New Zealand Green Building Council has been focused very much on embodied carbon in buildings. And yeah. we don't have a great story, obviously, to tell there, but we've got a great story in terms of the life cycle performance of the building. Mm-hmm. But what we need to do is in this industry, and I, um, one of the projects that here is going to fund is looking at could we have a carbon offset program down mm. the channel so that the building owner can actually offset the carbon that's embodied in their steel? Yeah, so that's the kind of thinking. Um, yeah, and, and also not looking just at the dollars per tonne of carbon in the tonne of steel, but also looking at kilowatt hours that we could start to generate from the building to offset that carbon. Yep. Yep. Uh, well, I'll follow with interest. Um, can, can I ask also, uh, I looked at your bio. How did you end up in this industry? Yeah, it's a bit of a <laughs> s- s- strange story. So I, I, actually, I'm a marine scientist of all yeah, things. Yeah, and my passion was to um, save whales. And then I worked on the other end of the spectrum, which was whitebait and inunga and anchovies. And when I graduated, there were no jobs available for marine scientists, so it was really hard. Um, And at that time, my dream was to work for New South Wales Fisheries. And there was an embargo on all new jobs because the Uh, government had gone over budget on the um, Commonwealth Games. Oh, sorry, Olympic (laughs) Games. So then I just applied for a federal government job, which was um, with Oz Industry. And that was all about innovation. So I just went on this complete journey around mm. innovation and research support at a yeah. policy and program level. And then I was put into a region as a regional manager that was a steel region. Yeah. And I was working, I moved over to the uni- local university there and they did a lot of work on research um, related to building design. Um, mm. And they have the local hub on sustainable buildings research. And yeah, Blue Scope basically said to me, can you let us know if you ever want to work for industry? We will create a job for you. And I just dismissed it. And then I had a bad day at the university one day and said, okay, <laughs> what, what were you guys thinking? And, yeah, they created an open innovation role, which was really focused on building integrated photovoltaics. And yep. I was obviously really passionate about it and it was a great project. Yeah, yeah and that, cool. then I oh, became a steel right. expert. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, that's not um, – so I've got a um, biochemistry degree as well as economics. Oh, wow. Um, so it's not – that sort of career journey is not sort of dissimilar. I, w- I wonder if it's not that dissimilar because uh, I never actually practiced as a biochemist, if you like, because I did an economics degree at the same time. But now I find myself, you know, sort of – what is it? 25 years later, or 30, almost 30 years later, uh, thinking about climate change, impact on ecosystems, you know, uh, gene editing, um, all those sorts of technologies that are going to, well, that we need in New Zealand to save us from farting, you know, burping cows, um, and and sort of ease the transition, you know. And so one of one of the things that I'm hoping to add value from from my role in using my chemist biochemistry is to be able to get a little bit more you know discussion about gmo and and uh you know sort of biotech as a as an innovation innovation channel to address some of these issues that we've got yeah most most economists don't don't talk about that stuff no well you can kind of tell that you're not a normal economist um but i think it's more important i absolutely agonized over was i selling my soul but i i absolutely believe it's important for people with that passion and that value driver to be in the more conservative industries and roles to right. make that change because otherwise yeah. it w- it's not going to happen. Mm. Yes, yeah, so I, I yeah. think that's great. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Thank you so much. It was really great talking with you. Yeah, yeah. Nice to talk to you too, Troy. Was, uh, yeah, uh, thanks for the interview and um, yeah, look forward to seeing it appear. Yep. We will let you know. Great. For us, this was such an interesting conversation and we hoped it helped you to understand how the Treasury uses the LSF to help measure the different dimensions of life that are meaningful to us and how we see our living standards. By tracking our salaries, environmental impacts, housing, education and health and how comfortable we feel expressing our cultural identity, our decision makers will have a clearer, more complete understanding of how their decisions impact people's well-being. It certainly supports Prime Minister of New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern's statement that we need to address the societal well-being of our nation, not just the economic well-being. If you liked what you heard today and want to learn more about Treasury's Living Standards Framework, check out their website or watch their video of Tim talking more about this initiative. Hero also has a metals industry-specific report, which is free for viewing for all our members. Details to access these resources are in our show notes.